This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. Guys, just before we get started, if you're loving the podcast, can you please go leave us a five-star review on Spotify and please make sure that you subscribe on whatever channel that you listen to us on. It helps us out dramatically. If you can't tell me in one sentence what problem your product will solve, it's probably not going to work. That's so much more important than like, you know, what's my ROAS in Facebook or return on ad spend in Facebook. That's the sum of many parts. Some of those parts are great product, great you know, branding, great community. All of that sort of interesting stuff drives ROAS. So to stick a product online, pump a bit of money into Facebook, I mean, those days are gone. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Um, very excited for this one. I think we were obviously talking a little bit um, before we, we started recording, but talking about e-com and, and it, you know, we're in the golden era. Um, and I think something we want to talk about a little bit later is is just what happened in 2020, you know, and, and a bit of a boom. And, and there's been some people that have, I've interviewed, you know, previously that have gone through that boom and their business is growing. And so I think there's some interesting conversations to have around that. But um, all in all, just really excited to chat. Yeah, cool, mate. I mean, that, that that's um, what, a, what a time, the last couple of years. I, I started in this game in about 2007. And, you know, back in, in that period, it was more about the GFC and things like that. And then um, obviously COVID hit and, and what the hell happened? <laughs> Everything went, went chaotic. We all thought we were, you know, closing shop and then quite the opposite happened and it went bananas. Yeah, uh, it was a crazy time. I think, you know, we, we probably won't realize how crazy it was. Like, we still look back and go, that was crazy. But I think in five to 10 years time, especially with all the emerging technologies and, and what's going to happen, we're just going to look back and go, wow. You know, that five to 10, 10 years time thing's interesting because, you know, e-commerce is still 20%, only 20% of traditional retail. So the, the, the idea that in 10 years or 15 years, like I could start an e-commerce business now or last year or whatever, in 10 or 15 years, I'll be considered as one of the absolute pioneers. And that, and that's what I love about it. Like it's not too late. You can get in there, have a crack and still be looked, you know, with the perspective of time, looked at as an early adopter. So there's not too many industries that can say that. And that's one of the reasons I love it. Even from a business perspective as well, just like on top of that, it, it's, it is still so early and you kind of go, oh, well, I missed the boom. And it's like, no, we're still in the boom. And if anything, it's probably going to mature now and you'll see it becoming, say, maybe a larger percentage of, of business, you know, relative to individual companies. And oh, I think it has to. Yeah. And, and, and that's right. Like, you missed the boom, but the boom's going. Like, it's, we were already growing in e-commerce. So I say we, the industry was already growing. Um, it was just accelerated. Now... Has it declined? Yeah, it has declined from where it was, but it's just back to where it was going, which was a pretty good space anyway. So it, it's absolutely a nice, um, you know, a, a nice ride to be a part of. And, and the future's still looking pretty rosy, I reckon. Yeah, definitely. So I'd love to start off just by, I guess, tapping into your journey a little bit and, and how it started and to kind of fast forward now to where it is now. Yeah, cool. Well, I mean, I've been doing this a long time. So I, I left school and didn't really know what I wanted to do. As I said to you earlier, I wasn't great at school. I was pretty, um, you know, my, my, my upbringing was, you know, I was raised by a single mom with a, with a, uh, on a disability pension, me and my brother, and it wasn't easy. And we, we weren't interested in school or future or any of those things. And I kind of 
never had that push to say, Paul, do this at uni uh, or do that. I, I just was living day to day. And so I, I, I took a job in a, in a, a logistics company and customer service. And, and then I started having this idea that I wanted to do my own thing. So I started a footwear company of all things, a men's footwear business. It was called Antoine and Stanley. And I did that for a good 10 years and it, and it was pretty good. You know, I, I sold to, I was a wholesaler initially. I sold to David Jones and ASOS and I was exporting all over the world and selling to just about all the stores you could think of. But I was stuck in a bit of a, a cash cycle, a negative cash cycle where I was having to stump up a lot of cash as a, tw- as a then 23, 24 year old, cash I didn't have access to. And then I was finding these wholesale accounts were coming in asking for 60% margins, 90-day payment terms, and I was, you know, naive, just thinking, yeah, yeah, let's, I'm in DJs, bugger it, let's, let's do it. And um, those sorts of deals can, can send a business bust, and I, and I quickly learned that. So then I opened a few retail stores. I've had five or six retail stores over the years, in, including, you know, in Westfields and a lot of the major centers, and I didn't really find my home there. I just... I, I could do it, but I couldn't find the, the, the aha moment where I was like, I can do this better than everyone else. I, I, I didn't have that. So then I, I in 2007, I, I had a crack at an online store and uh, it was built on Magento at that point and um, started making a few sales and selling shoes online is, is not necessarily something I'd advise. Mm-hmm. Uh, sizes and things like that make it pretty hard. But I started getting a few sales and it wasn't big, but I was like, oh, I'm getting paid straight away and I'm, I'm making a good margin on it. And that was, that was something that I enjoyed. And I said, okay, well, I'll take that money and then I'll buy a bit more stock and then I'll broaden the range. And then, you know, so just reinvesting it. And then I started listing on eBay. Back in those days, eBay had something called the Fashion Gallery. I was selling shoes and other products, um, lapel pins for men. I was selling bucket loads of stuff on eBay. And then I was trying Groupon and Catch of the Day, you name it, I, I tried it. I just love this marketplace concept as well. And so when I sold my business, I, 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 that business, I went to, uh, on to become the head of operations at a company called Shopo. And Shopo went through a, a, a great period of time, you know, sort of 30 mil to 80 mil in a couple of years. And, and, and that was a, a really good time for me. Um, moved on to become the CEO of a company called The Horse, which does um, watches. And then got into this advisory uh, work. So I, I advise, you know, Aussie retailers. Um, Oz Hair and Beauty were one of my clients. Um, G'd Up Clothing is a streetwear brand. Yeah. Um, Baby Boo Fashion, a women's brand. I've got um, Drummer Boy, non-alcoholic spirit. So I've got heaps across, you know, good retailers across a different um, cross-section of verticals, I guess. And um, And then I sort of found a bit of a passion... You know, a lot of newbies were asking me, oh, "How do you do this in e-commerce?" Or I've built this store, and or I've you know bought some product off Alibaba, and and I was sort of just struck by how many mistakes were being made, and I'd made those same mistakes, and um, how much money that these people were investing was just wasted. So I decided to, you know, it didn't make sense for me to charge people. Um, those sort of startups shouldn't be paying people like me. So I decided to write uh, these uh, Shopify for Dummies and Selling Online for Dummies books and then um, imminently launch learnecommerce.com.au, which is, again, another training platform for newbies. So I am sort of found a bit of a passion um, doing that. And then on the side, I've invested in three businesses. I try and do two, two e-com, Aussie e-com businesses a year. 
um, and I'm I'm also um, an advisory board member of the National Online Retail Association. So I try and do a little bit of stuff to, you know, give back to the e-com community as well. I find it really interesting. Um, you kind of when you talk to people who have been in e-commerce for a long time, and you kind of hear where they've come from. A lot of it came from that cur- cur- curiosity kind of in the early days, and you could, you know, you are talking that ten years ago, and you're kind of hearing about the stories about selling on eBay at the very beginning, and and kind of you know building businesses, you know, in the early days. How much of, because uh, obviously it's a lot easier right now, right? Like in terms of. I'm guessing, you know, in 2007, it would have been a lot more difficult to get started and and obviously the softwares weren't up to date. Um, But how much of kind of where you are now, you know, and the things you're doing now and and the knowledge you have now has come from, say, that curiosity that you had in the early days and kind of working in that time? Just about all of all of it, you know. So when I'm working with a, a retailer, I always say, you know, I, I'm, I'm a cricket fan, right? I, I love sport. Anyway, Richie Benno used to say to his fellow commentators, don't say anything unless it adds value to the situation. And my advice is only based on it, my experience. Mm-hmm. If I haven't seen it, if I don't know it, I'll just say that. I'm not going to give you a random opinion. And I've been lucky enough to forge these experiences over the time over the last 10, 15 years. And then, you know, obviously with my other clients, I see things working with one that I can apply to another. But um, absolutely, I think that's what I try and, and do is be raw about it. And, and I've got no problem at all telling a business you're going to fail. No no problem at all. Because I've failed. You know, many of us have. Many of these businesses out there are failing. They just don't, don't tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it's really important to be honest about those experiences and... Um, a lot of a lot of my experiences, as you say, it was it was hard in two thousand seven to do e commerce. You know, I built a horrible website. I had to get a development agency in India, and then moved on to another one, and they butchered the site, and it was really hard. And yeah, we've got Shopify now, and other good platforms as well, big commerce and so on. But yeah, Shopify is the one I've written the book about. But you can honestly, fourteen days, you could in two days you could have the bones of a, a pretty decent site so that the, the opportunity I guess the barriers to entry have lowered but having said that other other things have gotten harder you know but I was, I was speaking today to somebody who was lamenting the fact that five six years ago you could put a dollar into Facebook ads and pull a hundred out well that's all done and dusted so yes it's easy to, to, to build a site it's probably harder to scale it I reckon that's the that's the difference. It's interesting that you say that. Like I think um, I think media is really a fascinating space in regards to say what you're just talking about. Then you know the idea that companies are now going to turn to media to try get distribution built into their company, um, and and that's obviously what social media. You know, it, it kind of uh, as that starts to to you know move forward. It's it's interesting that that comment that you made because obviously you said back in the day. In the early days of Facebook, it was wild, some of the yeah. returns that you could generate. And we're just not there. You know, who knows what will happen with TikTok? Um, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting, interesting space. But um, yeah, I think I found that find that very, very interesting. Well, that's a good example of how, how brands have got to keep evolving. Now, you know, TikTok, a lot of businesses out there are starting to pull up to 45% of their Facebook spend and, and put it into TikTok. But if I check your Google Analytics, I'm going to see a conversion rate of less than 1%. That doesn't mean it's not working though. It's just, it's trial and error and looking at incremental revenue and and not just looking at the channel in isolation. But 
Yeah, it, it's a lot harder. And I, I'd caution any, you know, any startup particularly listening to this. I mean, you've got to go into a new business with the ambition that more than 50% of your traffic has to come from free or organic sources. If your, if your strategy is paid media, I tell you, you fail. You'll fail because it's too hard. Mm. No startup's going to go in there selling T-shirts, mixing it with the iconic or mixing it with you know, Universal Store or whatever. Forget about it. You know? So you've got to really be smarter than ever before. And, and I think it comes back to your product. And I always say, if, um, if you can't tell me in one sentence what problem your product will solve, it's probably not going to work. But, you know, you have that aha moment when you find your, your, your product. That's so much more important than like, you know, what's my ROAS in Facebook or ROAS in Facebook and in return on ad spend in Facebook. That's the sum of many parts. Some of those parts are great product, great, you know, branding, great community. All of that sort of interesting stuff drives ROAS. So to stick a product online, pump a bit of money into Facebook, I mean, those days are gone. I want to go back to something you said about scaling out the business and you talked about only being reliant on, you know, um, paid advertising as a startup and talk, because I understand that, but talk about the relationship between between those two things because obviously in a startup, you, you're not buying lots of the product you know the 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 amount of product that you're bringing in the uh the quantities you're gonna you know your margins aren't going to be there but then obviously facebook and and the advertising space um you know it's not as cheap as what it once was so the idea of and i'd love for you to talk about it the idea of that relationship between those two kind of moving moving parts that's a great question and a great topic to discuss and and I, I'm going to you know, talk to my rule, which I have, have in the books. It's my 50, 30, 20 rule. So when you're going into a new business um, in e-commerce, you've got to be aiming for a 50% gross margin. So you know, my, my definition of gross margin is the, the landed cost of the goods plus you know, merchant fees and let's say you're outbound, your career cost, your cost to deliver the parcel. You've got, and GST is never in these equations. So you've got to be starting with a 50% gross margin after those, those costs. You've got to aim to spend 30% or less in running the business. So your operating expenses, which by that I mean your wages, your rent, your marketing, all those sorts of things. And that'll leave you with a 20% net profit. And that, that, that's a good benchmark for e-commerce businesses, you know, big and small to aim for. So that comes back to, all right, um, that's probably going to leave you with maximum maximum 15% to spend on Facebook. And so I'm talking about 15% of your revenue to spend on Facebook and Instagram. So that's, um, that's enough for a good product. If you're finding that you're needing to spend more than that, you're probably not getting the cut through in your product. But just going back a step, what that really means is, is one, you mentioned margin, you, you I would delay my launch until my margins are there because there are many businesses that I've seen who start up or $50 million a year who are operating on 40% margins in the hope that scale will fix margin. Scale never fixes margin. They're variable costs that go up with revenue. And it, it, I would always just say, just go back to the drawing board, delay your start until you got your margin. Your margin is your wiggle room. The better your margin, you can afford to spend a bit more on Facebook and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then as well as, as you know, paid media, that relationship, we need to detach ourselves from that a little bit. And um, 
you know, if you are a startup, for instance, the hype phase, what I'd call the hype phase is crucial. Think about a Kickstarter campaign or an Indiegogo or, a, you know, one of these sorts of crowdfunding things. The majority of revenue is raised on the first one or two days because the 30 days prior, they're hyping the hell out of the product or brand. And I, I, I see too many businesses launch, nobody knows, it's a dark launch, like, oh, I launched a site. Oh, where was my text message? Where was my, you know, you've got to lean into, you've got to hustle. You know, some of the best online businesses, they're hustlers, you know. They started by at the markets. They started out of their garage. They started by bugging their family and friends on WhatsApp. Mm. You still got to do that. I mean, um, you're paying one, two, three dollars a click through paid, uh, paid marketing channels. Well, do what you can for free. Mm. And, um, and that sort of growth hacking, people are getting lazy. You've you got to go back to that and you've got you to never, never forget the hustle because um, that's where the good, the good operators have come from. So back to the 50, 30, 20 rule. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we can kind of, I want to, because I do love what you're saying and I completely understand it. Um, and so the marketing spend that we're talking about is actually coming out of the operating costs. Is that factored into that? Yeah. So some people put that as your, um, uh, as part of your cost of sales. Uh, typically, I don't see that in accounting in e-com. So yeah, your marketing would be, if I'm talking about 30% operating expenses, your marketing and your wages are the, the two biggest items that'll, that'll fall within that category. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And so obviously the bigger that you get the, your gross margin, the more room you've got on the other side to to scale out. So when you're talking yeah. about your operating uh, and your marketing expenses, that basically means, well, you know, if my gross margins are 60% or 70%, yeah. it usually means I'm going to be able to spend a lot more to acquire a customer. And Exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. And the, the best businesses that I work with who are, who are turning over good money, but more importantly, putting more, the most money in their pocket are businesses with a, a gross margin of over 50%. So what, what does that mean when you're looking at, remembering gross margin includes merchant fees, cost of sale, fr outbound freight, you know, Auspost or whatever. So what does that mean when you're sourcing a product? You've got to aim for a 70% margin on when you're sourcing. So when you're talking to your factories or you're scouring Alibaba or doing what you're doing, you, you should be aiming for a 70% margin landed you know so if i land this for x i've got to make a 70 percent margin when i sell it and then after you add the freight and the cost of sales and stuff then it'll come down to 50 but when you're doing your negotiations crunch your numbers on xgst 70 percent. now the catch there is that if you're selling a brand like if you're selling alcohol brands or you're a middleman you'll never get that margin so i'm I was speaking specifically here to people who are like oh i want to go to china and start a brand so if you're starting a brand 70% margin on your products, 50% margin on your GP, and you'll if it's a decent product, you've got a good good shot. But if you're coming in with a gross margin of under 50 or a product margin that's like 55, I'd have serious concerns about the longevity of that 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 brand in a in a pretty competitive market. That so it's really interesting like that for me is the most important thing in any business even in the yeah. service-based business like that's kind of where I come from is in service you, you same thing like it's how do you get your gross margins to 60% minimum um, and that's you know everything factored into producing the revenue in the service and yeah. then same thing but I just I, I love that you kind of and I mean look if that's in the book that's the reason that's yeah, one yeah. reason that probably out of a bazillion <laughs> that you, you're going to go and buy it because if you can get that right yeah it just makes your life so much easier and yeah. I think the thing that I learned was like it is so hard to reverse that 
the yeah. deeper you get into the business as well. Yeah, it's almost impossible. And yeah. and you made a good point earlier when you said that um, what does that what does that gross margin mean? Well, the higher your gross margin, the more you can spend to attract customers, to acquire customers. What does that mean? You grow faster, you scale quicker. So your gross margin is the most important metric in e-commerce and probably the least talked about. Can we talk about the other side of gross margin then as well, which is price and understanding pricing, but more importantly, how do you demand? So, so I mean, look, it is a, it's an interesting dynamic to understand these relationships, but I would imagine that when you're sourcing a product, you then obviously you go, okay, well, how do I get to that 70%? And I'd love for you to talk about I guess the marketing side of it as well and yeah. and the branding side of it as well and, and how that plays into potentially getting you that 70% if it's if it if it can't be done you know based on yeah. market dynamics and and the product. Yeah, so that's a, that's a good point because you know I might have my 70% product and um, the retail price that is spat out of my calculations is not competitive. Now that 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 is also not advisable. So the magic kind of balance is yeah, I want my uh, 70% margin but my retail price still has to be competitive. Not cheap, but competitive. And so how do we, um, and firstly, I would steer away from products that are price-driven for the most part for a, for a startup. Yeah, so if you're coming in saying, yeah, I'm going to do dog beds and there's a million of them on, on Amazon, you'll just never win. You'll, you'll never win at that game. Mm. So it does, it does also talk to the importance of finding a, a niche, you know, and they, some of my best clients have these crazy niches, you know, kids, toys that help them sleep or, you know, b- bizarre things. Just they've found something, you know, it's this morning I was speaking to, to non-alcoholic um, spirits company and just find your niche. Really important. That makes everything easier. But, if you do want to try and get a little bit of wiggle room in your margin and price on the higher side, what you've got to do is build a moat around your brand or your product. And I think I'm not interested in really selling commodities like, oh, here's a t-shirt or here's a dress or here's a pen or here's a bottle. You've got to sell a story and a brand. And I think being a, a building a brand take is hard. So essentially, if you go into e-commerce, you, you probably got two jobs if you're creating a brand. Create an e-commerce business and create a brand. And by the way, there's not many people that are good at both. So I often see great brand people come in and they've just butchered their margins and you're like, oh, you, you just need to work on the business side. And on the other side, you see some corporates who might have other businesses go into e-com and just chuck anything on the site and very, very no identity. That doesn't work either. So it's finding that, that balance. But building that community, I think, and that's part of the motor you know, pr- that protects your brand to say, well, nobody can attack me because I've got X, Y, and Z. And, and a great example of that is one that I mentioned to you earlier o- offline, which is G'd Up Clothing. They've built a community that um, is untouchable, you know, and, and they, they've got, they, they talk the talk, they, they understand their customer. They, yeah, there's other streetwear brands out there, but these guys understand, they live and breathe their community. They are their community and, and they cater to their community. They listen and, and the sales are reflective. They'll, they'll drop a product and it's sold out sold in, out, yeah. in a couple of hours. And um, yeah, it's a nice product. It is, but it, it's a great brand and, and you can't fake that. It's, it's, that's very, very difficult um, to build, but it's worth the, the, the time and the investment. And so the word moat, right, mm. just for those who don't, like I, I, it kind of as a as a as a theory, you you kind of understand it. We're we're protecting our brand. Yeah. What are some examples of of moats? You know. So is it 
it, it could it be anything? Is it as simple as saying, well, what can we do that our competition can't yeah. or are not willing to? Or, or yeah. you know, is there specific yeah. ones that you kind of see that happen regularly? Well, the, the, it, you know, building a moat, you know, and for those that don't know, a moat is a p- p- pool of water that goes around a castle. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't get in. Um, and that's, that's what's protecting your brand. And, and it's your value proposition, I suppose. And yeah, it can go across different things. So I just spoke about G'd up and I, I think their community is their mode and the fact that, you know, it's impossible to copy. I think for other um, other businesses, you know, like you know, Drummer Boy, who's a non-alcoholic spirits company that you know, I'm, I'm a shareholder of, give, give, them, a, give them a check out. They're, yeah. they're pretty cool. But again, trying to position themselves in as an early mover in non-alcoholic spirits. So that in, their moat is where one of the first to, to do it, you know, and they're making it in Sydney and all that sort of stuff in a, in a distillery. Um, but let's think about the iconic. They're selling every brand under the sun. So you sort of think, well, there's no moat there. You can, you can get that stuff in DJs and get in my, you can get it anywhere. But the logistics experience is incredible. And so they've built a business in my, and so is Amazon, you know. So your, your moat uh, could be your logistics experience. So there's many, there's many opportunities for businesses to to double down and protect their brand. And the uh, in you know it, in my experience as well, the moat, like building a moat necessarily isn't just one thing. It, it it may be one thing at that one point in time, but normally you look at Amazon, right? And they're probably the best moat builder. We call it a moat builder, yeah. <laughs> the best moat builders of all time because yeah. they just keep doing things to to kind of create the flywheel and and keep it going. But yeah. In my experience, it's always a few things or a, a different thing at a different point in time based on the, the way the market moves. Because you said it before, like you probably don't want to be stuck selling a commodity. Mm. And at, at, at some point, everything gets commoditized, right? Mm. Like, you know, um, uh, Davy Fogarty, you know, the Udi and, and yeah. the success that kind of happened there. But I think, you know, you, you already see people are coming in and trying to rip that off and, yeah. and so on. So I think it's a good example of how nearly everything gets commoditized. And if you're first, that's great. Probably means you've entered the, you found product market fit, you've entered the right market. But um, Totally. Dave is a good example. But it's like, yeah, how, how do you find it? Like, And, and you're right. It, it's a series of different um, solutions uh, for the customer. And, and it could be a series of different moments. It could be, your customer service is faster than everybody else's. It, it, it could be, you know, your adore beauties who send the Tim Tams out with the pack. You, you can find multiple mm. moments that all add to the experience. And that's an interesting idea in itself that customer experience isn't like, yeah, we've got a fast website. My, from, in my opinion, customer, customer experience is made up of, ser- of a series of memorable moments. That could be your packaging. Your packaging could be better. Your delivery could be faster. Your customer service could be on video instead of on live chat, whatever. Um, that's where people need to be creative and say, what am I doing that others aren't? Like, why would people come back to me? And that's a question that I ask, I challenge to businesses that I think are also maybe not quite ready to go, ready to scale. You say, yeah, well, but I can get that elsewhere. Like, why would I come back to you? And the answer that always comes back, and I made this mistake, it often comes back. I made this mistake earlier. Say, yeah, yeah, but my, my products are, are good at a, at a, a slightly better pro- price. Yeah, better quality and better <laughs> price. I'm like, oh, that makes me think about when I started my shoes. And I was like, oh, they're, they're a better quality and a better price. And I was like, oh, that's a bit of a, a bit of a cop out. And everyone says that. It needs to go beyond that. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um I mean, we're in a startup now, so I, I'm thinking these things are been all things that I've been thinking about over the last couple of weeks. But um, I'd love for you to—we're obviously 
like we're into the conversation and, and I'd love for you to keep in mind everything that we've talked about so far, but what goes into creating a great product and especially in 2022. So you talked about something, you know, in, in the form of packaging, mm-hmm. right? And, and you know, um, when you've been, when you've done business for a bit, you kind of start to understand how you can have these different elements that really form the product. Mm-hmm. Um, so could you talk about that and, and, you know, what makes a great product? Yeah, packaging is a good one because you think about koala mattresses, you know, the bed in a box. And so that can actually be one of those memorable moments that, that, that help with the overall experience and therefore build the mode. I think they've actually started putting music in the, in the box or something. So again, always moving, trying to find things. You know, there's a, there's a, and there's a part of my, my book in this as well is like, yeah, how do, you, how do you find a trending product? How do you find a, the right product for you? Really hard, you know? And I think there's basic tips like, you know, check your Google Trends and things like that. Check Amazon, check Alibaba. You know, there's, there's tools that I talk about there to see if a product is on the up or on the, on the down. And I use the example in my book of like, you know, what you would buy, uh, what you would import is Apple, uh, Apple Watch straps. They're going really well and you can sell tons of those. You know, we used to sell those at the horse and got other clients and we're going great. What you wouldn't buy is DVDs, you know, you wouldn't, you would, or DVD players. Yeah, so it's starting with just the supply and demand check. And then I think it's really um, avoiding the temptation to be generic. And um, there's enough Shopos, there's enough Princess Polly's, there's enough of those. That's a hard, that's a hard slog. So I think you've got to really identify, one, something that is trending, that there's got to be reasonable search demand for it. Like I'm not going to buy, you know, trousers for my dog. It, it's got to be like, yeah, people want this. And I can, and that, that might be keyword research as well that you can do. And then you've got to think, okay, there's, it's not being, this space is not being swallowed up by all the behemoths out there. There's a bit of a, a, an entry. You could use tools like Ibis World to look at the size of your, your, your market size and, and the growth and who are the big players. And then it's really getting into the nitty gritty and making sure that if you've got a niche product, um, making sure that the quality is outstanding, um, that the that it lasts, that people will talk about it. We want them to come back. Not a bad idea to get a product that depletes or or, or follows a, through a journey. For instance, if I'm doing kids' lunch boxes, you know, what do they take to daycare? Then what do they take to preschool? Then what do they take to big school? So the the lifetime value is a, is an important metric when thinking about your product. And so you might have have a great product, but if it lasts your whole life, well, that's great, but they'll never come back to you. Yeah. So you've also got to think about how can I get them back? Like, let's say you're in the pet space, you know, if I've got the, the dog lead, do I get the collar and then the shampoo? And then, the, so it's, it's when you're thinking about your first product, you've got to think about your second and your third and your fourth because repurchase rate is super critical. And then your packaging as well. And that, again, is part of the experience. So it's, it's like, okay, when, when, when the customer gets their delivery, that's one of the, the greatest moments of the week. You know, Australia Post are there or whoever it is knocking on your door and you've got a delivery. That's how it starts. And the good brands out there, they'll, they'll post on, um, yeah, they, they, you'll see customers post about that experience. So it is following that end-to-end journey. But creating that product, my advice would be, don't do what everyone else is doing unless you've got millions of dollars in your pocket and you're prepared to go into a bidding war on, on paid media. Find a niche, and it might be one that you've got experience in. Uh, find a niche that solves a problem and don't start till you found it. Don't chuck on three SKUs. It's not going to work. Rarely does three SKUs work. There are some businesses out there where three or four or five SKUs, and by SKUs I mean products, rarely do they work. 
you know so most of the time i'm encouraging retailers to just hold the pump the brakes on the spending of paid media and give me a range of 40 50 60 skews and i'm deliberately posing those challenges to make them go back and realize that i'm actually starting a serious business i'm not going to chuck a yo-yo online and make 20 million dollars it's yeah it's very interesting isn't it like i i think the biggest thing that i got there was like uh, you also mentioned it before but like the idea of you know if something's already had its boom or it's it's you know it's everywhere you're more than likely going to struggle to break into the market but the idea of keeping an eye on what's around you seeing if is there a need for this you know like um it's interesting like we've had a lot of people on the podcast but like um good friend of mine tim hanley started a clothing label called front runner did oversized t-shirts and he's tall like he's massive and he did oversized unisex um he's found his niche but t-shirts like it's like he does sell other stuff but the t-shirts have just gone absolutely bananas yeah um he's solving a problem you know i imagine like big guy probably buying things that don't look great and he probably wanted a good looking t-shirt that fit well well nothing's oversized when you're six foot five that was kind of his thing right like but the but but the idea was he he kind of seen that need there and that was the basis and you know he's expanded into other products and stuff but i think like the idea of you know, being curious and keeping an eye on things and being able to say, oh, well, why hasn't anyone done that yet? But more importantly, yeah. what you mentioned was like the research that goes into that. It's like, okay, well, yeah. Um, I had a friend call me and he goes, <laughs> it was actually Tim. Tim <laughs> it was actually Tim. Like, if, you met, if, you've seen, if you've met him, you'd laugh. But he called me and he goes, mate, um, front runner's going in the bin. He goes, I got the best idea ever. Yeah. I go, he, goes, I go, he goes, what is it? I go, what is it? And he goes, I was at the park and I seen the dogs running around uh, and I thought, I'd love to look after those dogs. And he goes, Airbnb for dogs. Yeah. And I go, mate, it's been done. It's been done. <laughs> you <laughs> break his heart. The first thing he's coming to me is like, funding, where are we going? How are we doing this? And I go, <laughs> he goes, oh, all right, front runner it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah back, back to front runner. That, that's a really good example because you're like, oh, T-shirts. But oversized T-shirts for big fellas. That's a niche, and and that that I would I would give that a big tick of approval because it's solving a problem, and I just go back to that like what problem are you solving? And that's not to say that you know that there can't ever be another Princess Polly, sure, but I just it takes a lot of capital. It's not the, it doesn't have to be the world's biggest problem either. I think that yeah. can that can kind of stop people as well. Like you know you don't need to solve the big problems all the time, even yeah. though like because media, you know you got Elon Musk, you got Bezos, you got the, the you know. The, the you know um, the big dogs kind of doing their thing, but the idea is is that if you can just find even just like a corner of the market, yeah, you know, and and really capture that corner. So you could be selling a product, but you could it's it, it can even be like who you sell it to that can be that differentiating factor. Oh, hundred percent. There's there's pl- yes, I, I get exposure to a lot of lot of wacky ideas, and the wackier the better for me, I, because I, you know, I'm always looking for the niche that's been carved out. R- Riff Raff and Co. Great, you know, Emma Emma there on the in Queensland and has started a great business. She's got a couple of kids. What is it? It's a toy that replicates the sound of you know being in the mother's womb and it pacifies the kids wow. now that's a captive audience mm. and um and and it solves a problem getting your kids to sleep makes perfect sense great business great product simple you know and and it's just again it's like when you have that 
aha moment. Oh, I've got it. You know, unfortunately, Tim didn't get it with the dog air. <laughs> but at some point, he well, he did with Front Runner. And, yeah, the, and yeah, that's yeah. the thing. It's like, oh, I've got to, you know, wake up in the middle of the night. And as, as I call it in, in the book, that eureka moment, like, I, I know I've got it. You know, it's not even a question. Like, it's not a, oh, would this work? It's like, no, nah, I've got it. I've got the one. That's the moment. Yeah, and you know, and, and you can feel it while you're doing it too, like yeah. when you're picking up momentum yeah. and you you see the same, I mean, I, again, I come from service, so with me, I'm dealing with people a lot of the time, So, but you can kind of, you see the same problem coming to you all the time and you can also feel that it's catching fire. And I think yeah. e-com would be a little bit different in the terms that you'd probably just see the numbers going bananas or you might see yeah. a, a spike here and then you can kind of yeah. follow that trend. That's true. I mean, you know, you can sort of, when I, I do a lot of business audits and you come in and you sort of get under the hood and you have a look at a business and I, I don't even need to see the sales really. I just look at other metrics like conversion rate and re, repurchase rate and net promoter. And there's, there's a few indicators and you're like, oh, this, this is something. And that's a lot of fun finding those. And that that's also why I invest in businesses that, that, because I'm like, oh, this is, I can see those metrics. That's beauty of e-commerce. You can see when it's resonating and when it's going and you can sort of double down and go for it. Guys, if you're loving this episode, make sure to take a screenshot, give us a tag or even take a photo if you're watching it. Help spread the love. It helps us out dramatically. I just wanted to take a little bit of your time to say thank you to our major sponsors, BizCover. Uh, they are powering the podcast currently. They are the reason we get to travel and have all the amazing guests on. Uh, but they're also a really amazing company. They're a business insurer that are insuring Australians all over the country uh, and making sure that if something does go wrong in their business, uh, it's not painful and it's not deadly. Uh, if you're an e-commerce business, uh, having insurance is really, really important because anything that goes wrong with your product and you are liable uh, and with the way the economy is currently um, and manufacturing and shipping and all of these things and potentially stock going missing just having your business covered uh, could save you a lot of pain uh, so if you're interested in getting a quote uh, it's super easy it only takes you know you can get insured in under 10 minutes and there's no paperwork involved uh, the, their link is in the show notes go check it out and get yourself a better deal okay so that's a winning product and that kind of gives us a bit of an understanding there i guess the next place that i think would be a good kind of place to go for the conversation would be what's the process of actually launching a successful e-commerce business you know so from more of a macro perspective obviously finding your winning product getting your margins and so on to the right place but if you were going into a business and you know a new business and advising someone and maybe they hadn't started it they just had an idea or even if you were starting your own yeah. how, how do you go about it yeah i write about that in my books and um i'm not just plugging my own book here or my upcoming course but it's it's do the do the homework you know and I, I a lot of people don't so a lot of people jump straight in and, and I, I've got a quiz in here in my book I say if you know the answer to these 10 questions you're ready to rock and roll if you're not don't start yeah and I'm not not afraid to say that don't don't start <clears throat> so the example there is that I always use is if I'm, I can go and find the timing belt in my car I shouldn't change it because I'm not a mechanic and you've got to, you know, I respect that trade, you know, I know that they know what they're doing. And if you're, if you're selling anything online, let's say you're selling women's clothes online, you're not in fashion, you're in e-commerce. You've got to learn the trade. So do your homework, do a course, watch YouTube videos, read the book, all that sort of stuff, do your homework, and then come into it. And then I think it's <clears throat> like, like any business, it's, it's the planning phase. So a lot of new businesses fail, you know, one in five in the first year. 
And so we're not exempt from that in e-commerce. I reckon the rates will be higher in e-commerce because people think it's easier than it is. So it's really understanding, you know, the funding firstly is, is super critical. Right, how much money do you need to run this business? Now, mm. most startups can't tell me that. You, you need to know that. Like, you absolutely do. You need to know, like, are you going to lose money for six months? And, and by the way, that's okay. Like, plenty of good businesses start by losing money. But it's just knowing how long your cash runway is, you know, when you become profitable. It's, okay, what am I targeting? I still work with businesses doing $50 million a year who don't have a budget. They don't know what they're going to make next in the next three months, uh, month by month. They'll have a rough idea, but you can't plan that way. E-commerce is all about ratios. I want to spend 15% of my marketing on my predicted revenue on marketing. When I buy my stock, I'm buying it towards my next three months planned sales. If you get, if you don't know your plan, you, you can't run a good business. You really can't. And so it's, it's, it's doing the plan. And once you've got the plan, you start sourcing the product. Once you've found your supplier, you've got to work out the logistics. Do I sea freight it? Do I import, you know, air freight it? What do I do? Bring that in. How am I going to store it? How am I going to distribute it? All that stuff has to be worked out. In addition to, okay, pick the platform, picking Shopify, uh, pick the right plan, design the right theme, what functions, I need a wish list, I need a, you know, a, a, a good menu, whatever it is, get the site. Okay, I've got my 15% for marketing. What are my channels? Am I TikTok? Am I Facebook? Am I SEO? Am I you know, your channel plan? Get your channel plan right your email marketing strategy, how are you going to bring your customers back? And then you can kind of work out how to scale after that. I want to go back to, I think, a really, really good point. Um, and it's interesting because I feel like a lot of, like 99% of people wouldn't do it this way. But you talked about planning first, then finding your product. And so I'm guessing your 10 questions in the book would, would if you answer those, you can take the next step. So read the book. But the idea of... And when you say planning, you're talking about, you know, how much funding do I have to put into this? Yeah. You know, um, and then more, and then so, but over a longer period of time. So a lot of people I go, have, not yeah. just how much money do I have to get my first lot of stock, but more importantly, if I'm purchasing all this stock, how much do I need to yeah. sell to be able to make sure that I can get my second, 100%. my second, you know, lot of stock in and, and keep that flow? Because um, a lot of people go try to find this product. And I think the other thing I wanted to ask you, in your like, is it something that you see often? Is like people are trying to find a problem for their product rather than finding a product to solve the problem. Yeah, both it, of those things. I know that was kind of two questions and two kind of topics. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. Oh, I love it. I mean, what you've said there is super important. You know, okay, great. I've bought my first round of stock. Um, typically, I'd recommend you, you hold about 12 weeks cover. That, that means enough stock to last you 12 weeks. So what happens there? You, if you're importing from China, six weeks in, you've got to place the next order. So, okay, have you got the planning? Have you got the cash for that? Um, and another good one is, is, is um, simply the 50-30-20 rule. Like, does your business plan meet that? And a lot of businesses that I see... They'll say, yeah, look, I don't have the margin covered. Like I'm on a 40% margin, but I'm, I'm not paying wages, you know, and I, I don't have rent, but so that's fine. Yeah, but one day you want to, you know, so you've <laughs> got to build that all out now um, so that one day you can pay wages. And you know how many founders I see who aren't, I'm talking about, again, 20, 30, 40, $50 million a year businesses. The founders are living on tins of tuna because they haven't 
done that foundational work to make sure that as my revenue grows, I've allocated 9% to wages from day one, even if that was $100 on day one. You know, so making sure that you have a wage budget that scales as a percentage of revenue, making sure that you have a, a, a rent a, a spot on your P&L in that 30% um, OPEX for rent, even if you don't have the office, one day you're going to have it. Now, it's better to have it allocated rather than just be like, oh, so I, I need some wages now or and that, that's all that's when you get into all sorts. So it's build it now for when it is 20 million. And you'll be you'll be okay. <laughs> yeah, because like a three hundred thousand dollar business in revenue, you know, you're going okay. Well, thirty percent opex, and then you've got wages, and then you go okay. Well, now I've got to go find, uh, you know, or I can't increase my opex by ten percent because then it puts everything else out, and I need to get this lease. And you start end up trying to take percentages from different areas, and that is a massive, massive problem. Well, that's what happens. So, like, yeah, I'm running my business on thirty percent, Paul, but I don't pay a wage, but I'm going to start paying a wage. Cool, you're going to start losing money. How many, how many CEOs do you see? Or like, you know, I mean, we're talking, we're, let's talk about the smaller scale of mm. businesses, right? How many, how many businesses don't have a, like a, their CEO isn't getting paid yet because at some point they haven't included that in their OPEX? Oh, I could name and shame plenty. <laughs> plenty, big and, big and small. Yeah. And, and that's what, and my saying to them, and I, I've got no problem saying this is, do you want to eat tuna or do you want to eat lobster? You know, like, What's going on? Your e-commerce business has to be there to, to improve your life. I, I fundamentally don't understand if you're not getting paid and paid well as your business grows, how you're improving your life. And that's a, a really common problem that I come across. It's um the age-old problem of not having, you know, like the five and 10-year plan and the reason you start a business and kind of understanding, okay, what do I actually want out of this? Not just building something that ends up turning my life into, yeah. into a, and you know, to be honest, like I've done that, you know, where you kind of fought, you're in no man's land and then yeah. you kind of have to, okay, well, I have to figure something out. And, yeah. and so it's easy for me to sit here and like giggle about this stuff now, but you know, I once went through it. Me so too. I kind of, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And I think um, then one of the, my, my questions was going to be like, what don't people know about e-commerce that you think holds them back? Is it what you're talking about in the form of unit economics and yeah. and truly understanding that side of it and, and the planning, you know, that, that yeah. a lot of founders don't probably do? There's, there's a lot of things that people don't understand about e-commerce that, that, that probably come as a rude shock. The unit economics, the, 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 um, the lack of financial knowledge is the main reason that e-commerce businesses fail. And that's a shame because some of them fail with really good products or really good brands and they just don't get it and they should have taken the time to learn because if I can learn anyone can and yeah there's a lot I mean also just the fact that e-commerce is not just opening up a shop and putting products on it's a serious business it's as serious as any business out there and it's it's hard it's mm. hard but if you're prepared to do the hard work there are still success stories out there that you know, started with a dollar and sold for 30 million. I come across them all the time. But the common theme with those people is they're generally good in the numbers. That's, that's a really strong theme for me. The founders that I talk to had big exits or they're turning over big money, but big profit. Generally, they're either really good in the numbers or their partner is, or they've got someone in who is really, really solid in the numbers. The numbers drives everything in e-commerce. Absolutely. I, I, one of my bugbears is like when an agency, and I've got an agency, so I'm speaking with agency hat on here. 
Ecom Nation is the agency, by the way. Um, those agencies that say, yeah, I can give you a better ROAS. And they've ne- they haven't looked at your margins. They haven't looked at your ops. They haven't looked at anything else. And it's like, no, you can't. And I see it. Like I, I work with clients who are using an agency and getting a, a Facebook return on ad spend of 10 times. That same agency for another client will be getting 1.4 times using the same strategy. So agencies have to realize it's not all about you. It, it's the product that's driving you know honestly if you've got a red hot product and red hot branding and creative any mug can get you a good ROAS and I say that as somebody from an agent that has an agency so it's it's product and brand and all the things that you do not all the things your agency does um and so now we kind of fast forward and I want to go to the point let's say the planning's been done we've put in the work we've got the unit economics right you know we've got the the 50 30 20 rule We've, we've nailed it. We've found product market fit a little bit and we're one year in, you know, maybe let's say one to two years in. What's next? Scale, scale, scale. So let, let's say that we're achieving, so success for me one year in, honestly, is that you're achieving your 50, 30, 20 or close enough. I don't mind if that becomes, you know, 50, 35, 15. That, that's fine. Like, you know, if it's growing, you can even go a little bit less on the profit. As, as long as you're in control of that and you're choosing those ratios and you're in control, that's fine. You can adjust those ratios. But the, the gross is a non-negotiable? Gross is a non-negotiable, yep. yeah. You can change your ratios on, on how much you spend and, oh, look, I'm going to go a bit harder on my, my marketing. I'm going to spend 20%, but... I'm going pretty well, so I'm happy, therefore, to make 15% profit instead of 20%, but it's 15% of a larger pie, but I'm in control. I've made that decision consciously. So if we're hitting that those numbers, and then the other big test that I, I put to all businesses is, do you have a financial model, like month to month, this is my P&L, this is how it should look, and have you proven that for three months in a row, and it's within 5% accuracy, and within 5% accuracy on sales and expenses? They're the two big... 12 month ticks that I'm looking for before making the decision to scale. And so when you talk at your when that uh, so that, that's your money models, right? That's your your percentage of revenues and you're going okay. Yeah. I mean 50 30 20 um, but I'm sure there's even some even deeper details there within yeah. your op and your, yeah. your marketing and so on but so you're saying that you need to be able to test yourself against those numbers and prove that you can actually hit them and, yep. and have the discipline to do so. Yeah, you can't scale with that, without that because like what, what I do in my job is people come along and they say, how do I grow? And I'll look at those numbers and I'll say, you can't grow or yeah, you, you've, 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 um, you're hitting 50, 30, 20 or whatever it might be. You're, you're hitting the metrics that I think are suitable. Um, now, we're going we're gonna to put your model under the stress test. So I, what I'll do is I'll build them a model that ramps up Using the, the you know you know using sort of key principles around nine percent of wages, three percent on merchant fees. I'll build that model out for them, and then I'll make some assumptions like sell through rates on inventory, ROAS, like overall marketing efficiency ratio, which is your how much money do I need to spend on marketing? In other words, if I spend a dollar, do I make five? Cool. I'm going to put that under the stress test next month and go a little bit higher. Oh, you know what? We proved it again. We we made three hundred thousand this month, and we spent. 25 on, on marketing. So whatever, we spent our 20% on marketing. So I'm trying to stress that that stress test that model upwards until it breaks. But I don't wait till the end of the month to see that it's broken and be like, oh, whoops, we, we lost a lot of money. So I build a model that monitors that every single day. 
So how often do I look at my numbers? Every single day in detail. And if it's going well and I'm getting a, a better return on investment and, and in other words, I'm more profitable this week than, than my budget allows for, yeah, go for it. I dial it up. I've had a great time doing that. You crank it up. There, there's no going wrong. You crank it up until it breaks. And it's just knowing where the break point is. Oops, my, my marketing's gone over. Stop there. Stop. But if you're setting that up daily and monitoring daily, you can dial it up and down uh, as needed. That's that's the beauty of e-commerce. It's 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 scalable and it's you can also pull it back quickly. Yeah, I love it. And so when you when you're dialing up the marketing spend, that's obviously the first, literally the first cog in the process. So yeah. you'll see, okay, if I'm putting one dollar in and I used to get five, but when I put it up now, I'm only getting four. Yeah. That changes what well, your 50, yeah. 30, 20. Yeah. And that's where I'll pull it back to, to keep true to my 50, 30, 20. I don't want the revenue. I want to pull back to my 50, 30, 20. But it's also, you know, ensuring that, all right, we're going to dial up our marketing spend. My next question is, what are you doing? What are you doing to support that with your product? Well, that's cool because we've got our new range. It drops on Tuesday and we usually do an extra 30% of revenue on, th- on Thursday. And then I've got an email going out to lost customers on Friday. And then on socials, we're doing a partnership. So there's, I'm not just here saying, oh, great, like dial up Facebook, off we go. And all the other departments in the business need to be um, pulling towards sales as much as the marketing department. And going back to that idea, product drives everything. So if we sat down and we were like, this month, we're going to go for it. And I'll say, yeah, cool. What's happening this month? Nothing. Well, oh, we're just going to we're just going to increase spend. <laughs> yeah, by that's 20%. that. That's risky. Might work for a little while, but it's um once again, it's product and brand and activations and cool stuff. Brand interest drives everything. As a, a great example, Budgie Smuggler, right? Interesting brand. Those guys are cool. They get it. They're doing stuff with NRL, AFL, heaps of interesting stuff. And so there's always activity that then the marketing team can go bang. I'm I'm with you, and you go together, not not in isolation. Almost like generating, you kind of mentioned organic and how important that is, but like generating that organic attention that can yeah, then help yeah. you, your paid kind of really get the, yeah. it kind of, you almost, you're right, you do need to support, yeah. you know, with, with kind of activations and, and get the team on board, definitely. The, the organic's a good point because you, you come across businesses that want to ramp up their, their spend and they, and they hammer the agency. Oh, our ROAS is crap. And then I always give them a little test. Go and check your organic branded searches. Go and check your, so- your social media followers. Are they up or down? Oh, they're down. Your, your paid meter will be down too. All ships rise with the tide. It, absolutely. You're, you're rarely going to see, for instance, like your socials followings down, your organic branded searches in Google are trending down, you're losing email subscribers, but your ROAS is coming nah, up, It's yeah. a bigger problem. But yeah. honestly, a lot of brands don't want to face that problem. Yeah, yeah. And so... What what does that support look like? Because that's a good question. You know, like that would be my question. You know, personally, I understand kind of the the crux of what you're saying, but like, what's uh, what kind of what catches people out? You know, if they are just kind of in that stress test, like, what are some of the things that come up in those stress tests that you do? Yeah, I think um, marketing is the big one. You know, just again, too many people want to just say, you know, I can't. I've lost count of the amount of times where. Clients, you know, we get their ratios under control. We got them spending 15% on marketing and they're pumping out a 20% profit. And, you know, particularly in turnarounds where they've been losing money and then they're profitable and, and they go, oh, oh, can we spend 25%, you know, th- this month on marketing? I'm like, yeah, you'll be negative though. You'll, you'll, take 20, you'll take 5% off your profit. It's going back to those old, old habits. People want to spend their way out of trouble. Whereas I would rather take that money and 
put it into a good product, to put it into R&D, you know, research and development and, and do that sort of stuff. So it's it probably also um, looking at sales, you look, paid meter, as, as, as my friend Mal Chia will say, paid meter is not a strategy. Every department needs a seat at that strategic growth table mm. and nothing wrong with sitting down once a month, once a week, round the table, right, customer service, what are you doing this week for us to hit our target? Product, what are you doing this week for us to hit our target? Creative, what are you doing? I love that because... Even operations, oh yeah, we're, we're launching same day delivery or free returns or we're going to try free delivery. Every department impacts growth. And under that stress test, again, it's just discipline. And, and, and you know, it's it take a leaf out of an athlete's book. It's routine and discipline. If I say spend 9% on wages, there's no if, ifs or buts. Spend 9% on wages. So if I build those parameters for a business, as a business owner, stay, stay within them. Don't break it. As I say, trust the process. Act with discipline. Be in your numbers. Don't come halfway through the month and not know as a percentage of revenue how much you've actually spent on your, on your marketing. Get in your numbers every single day and act with, with discipline. Discipline in e-commerce or any business is, is so important, you know? Yeah, or you otherwise you're driving blind, right? Uh, yeah, that's that's a good. And you might have success, but you don't know why. And more importantly, it's easy to drive off the road. Yeah, and I can tell you, if you ever go and sell that business, or you have got private equity coming, you you will have no you'll have no answers for them. You know, then they'll be asking all those questions, and you'll get found out at some point. Read the book. That's <laughs> that's a. I mean, look, if if this conversation. Just what we've just had then. Like, I love it. That's the stuff that I've spent a lot of time in service trying to understand and it's very different. But, you know, that is what we just talked about then is business in yeah. my opinion. You know, like yeah. it's that kind of explains what you need to do. Mm. Um, I just want to kind of shift a little bit now and go more into the state of e-commerce right now. You know, so so in your words, what what is what's what's happening in e-commerce and what's the state? Well, there's a bit of a... You know, so we've 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 had a great couple of years, you know, with the, the lockdowns and so on, and we accelerated in e-commerce rapidly. Essentially, it's just come back to where it was pre pre pandemic, uh, and where it was pre pandemic was great. We were having a good time. The 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 issue will we will have a lot of retailers go under this year um, for sure because a lot of a lot of bad practices were picked up over the last two years. So over the last two years in in e-commerce, any any mug could make money. You know, let, let's be honest, it, it wasn't hard. It's harder now. And again, yeah, going back to that, um, there was a lot of active shoppers over the last two years. Now it's come back a little bit. It's a little bit harder to get customers. So the businesses that, you know, were set up maybe during that fun time, maybe don't know what it's like to actually go back and, you know, have to do things a little harder and find other ways to grow. Um, and they're the ones that will get found out. And a good, a good example of that is the retailer that said, our business grew 100% last year, but we weren't 100% better business. And that's, that's a great way to sum it up. You know, sales, businesses grew that otherwise wouldn't or shouldn't. So I, I, I think um, I feel comfortable about where we are because I've been around for a long time and I'm, I'm happy with the d direction it's heading in, 20% of total retail. Yep, it'll go up next year, it'll go up the year after. But I, I do think there'll be a few businesses that are in a bit of trouble um, that aren't in control of their growth and their numbers and their value proposition. So I reckon, uh, unfortunately, we'll see a few um, a few fall off over the next 12 to 18 months. So massive, massive spike over the last two years. And then yeah. it probably comes back to what, you, what you've been kind of talking about is, the, you know, if you were disciplined enough and, and yeah. you kind of 
kept the unit economics and, and the business operating the way it should and you didn't get greedy because you could you know you said it you, you would have got a lot got away with a lot more during that two years than yeah. what you will now yeah um so so for if you're so what we're saying is if you're a founder and you've kind of come out of that and you've had great growth but you don't have a memory of what it was like before you went through that yeah. period you probably need to to kind of you know yeah. get get everything under control right now but but back yeah get a consolidation we had growth and now it's about consolidation that's not to say growth can't happen but a lot of those bad practices have been formed over the last two years and it's just it's just back to basics and you know um and grow the old-fashioned way grow by releasing new categories by releasing new products by trying export there's no tailwind the wind's gone out of those sales like there's a little bit but you're not going to grow sitting on your hands you know so you got to you got to hustle and and do those things i said is not spend more on marketing it's find new 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 countries to export to one of the best ways for an e-commerce business to grow is through product and category expansion if you've got a category that's performing well can you do a subcategory in it how can you expand that category how can you get your buying better how can you get your replenishing you know going strong can you go into new products they're all the ways that since the dawn of time businesses have grown and it's just going back to those basics it's just forget about that tailwind it's 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 gone what about in store and and you know uh i've been having some conversations with just friends that own businesses and they've seen obviously the big spike and they're coming on the back end and what about kind of getting back into store and you know if you've if you have started a company in that is that obviously and then just to kind of further that the strategic side of where we are currently you know on the back end of that big spike you know um what are some of the things you're seeing and and what do you i mean i don't know how you feel about predictions but you know what do you think the next say 12 months to five years looks like yeah i think next 12 months to five years will be fine just steady steady growth back to the way it was you know a couple of percent a year or whatever i certainly think at some point e-commerce will end up 50 50 50 with physical retail why wouldn't it you know where we're we're in the early days and it's already at 20 percent. imagine how good it'll be in augmented reality or video or imagine all the, the deliveries will get faster yeah, delivery of course it's you know we've got refunded now which is like you get refunded before you even post the the goods back as a consumer like come on it's 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 incredible it's it's too easy for us to, to, to shop now. So you've got to think it's going to be at 50-50. So I think we're in a sweet spot. I don't know if that'll be five years, but, you know, it'll keep growing, you know, 25% of retail. So it'll keep growing, um, you know, in a, in, a, in a pretty healthy way. I, I do think it'll be a little bit of a, a tough 12 months, probably as people have, have, have comping year on years. You know, last year we did this and this year we're doing one. That's not a great feeling for, for everybody. But um, I think the good businesses will prosper. Um life life for me was great you know before the pandemic like the pandemic was like oh cool that, that was nice things got busy i wrote a book but it's like back to where we are now is, is sweet it's good for good operators and, and bricks and mortar has a place there for sure i've got clients that that have stores i think the, the thing about bricks and mortar is if you're going to open stores um as an online retailer you'd probably expect your online sales to be cannibalized a little bit probably and if you're monitoring your marketing spend, that marketing efficiency ratio as a percentage of online revenue, you might find that cops a hit. So you might switch to like, you know, looking at your marketing efficiency ratio as a percentage of company revenue instead of channel specific revenue. 
absolutely fine. Like if you're running digital campaigns and your online sales grow, but your store in Melbourne picks up, that's sweet. You just got to look at it all together and stores can complement a digital strategy quite nicely. Um, just And the same as marketplaces, it's fine. You just got to expect a little bit of cannibalization. Um, but if they're in good centers, it could also lower your customer acquisition cost. I've seen that happen as well. Like really strong branded stores, five or six or seven stores around the country can actually have a positive impact on your, your digital uh, spend because you've got these big big billboards basically all over the place. But um, yeah, usual, the usual warnings for bricks and mortar is heavy on capital. You know, 100 grand, 200 grand for a fit out and then your inventory holdings and you've got a lot more commitments than you do in e-commerce. You've got your leases and your things like that. So it's just, um, can they go hand in hand? Yeah, absolutely. There's things you can do in bricks and mortar that you'll never be able to do in e-com. And it's just, it's just understanding the balance and the cannibalization, I think. Mm, and I would imagine there'd just be a push and pull relationship in the OPEX yeah, side of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and making sure that's clearly split out on the P&L. So, you know, your, 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 your Melbourne store, this is the percentage of your wages that go to that store. And, you know, this is the percentage of marketing spend that goes to that store and making sure that your cogs and your margins are split out on your P&L. So that if there is a problem, you can zero in on, oh, that store is not profitable or my online sales to New Zealand aren't profitable or just really getting that very clean P&L. A clean P&L is a thing of beauty. That's uh, that's 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 something I really enjoy seeing. It, yeah, it, it's one of the most important things. You yeah. Know, you don't want to, you don't want to be sitting down at the end of the month, end of the quarter to read, to kind of go into your reports and, and then uh, and what you mean by clean is is you want it to represent the way you want to look at the business, yeah, not absolutely. not not the way your accountant or you know, he, he should be on the same page yeah. or she should be on the same page. But the idea being that looking at something like that and using that as your scorecard yeah. on a you know on a regular basis is yeah. I just don't think I think it's underestimated how much that can help. And I think especially as a small small business owner. Mm. Yeah, getting good at that kind of stuff is 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 critical. One of the best things I did was learn or you know brush up on my financial acumen. But looking at at the zero file is something that I do all the time. It's probably the best data in the business. I I look at it alongside Google Analytics and and your Shopify Analytics and those sorts of things. And the scorecard is, is it because I, I keep talking about fifty thirty twenty. Well, Google Analytics doesn't tell you about that. It's it's your P and L. So making sure that every month you score yourself on that fifty thirty twenty rule and make sure you're on track. Love it. Love it, mate. Awesome. <laughs> oh, I could talk about this all day. <laughs> I could see it. your eyes. I just love it. it. I, I mean, it's music. It's music <laughs> to the ears. Um, but I think it's uh, it's what catches most people out, you know, yeah. like um, I know it did with me in the, in the early years and um, it's something that uh, it can help you so much, you know, just getting, especially as a founder, you know, like it, you may not have that skill set yet, but don't, like a yeah. lot, you can definitely shy away from it, yeah. and 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 kind of hide from it when you, you just kind of kind of front it. Yeah, particularly if you're not strong in that stuff. But you know, my my tip for people is like you're hearing us talking now about cogs and gross margin and stuff. There's going to be plenty of people here who don't know what gross margin is. No worries, I I, I didn't when I started my business. Go and Google it, and your task for this week is understand it. And if that means breaking out one of these topics a week and googling the hell out of it break it down like that I, I, I do that all the time like oh i'm open to buy a buying metric for inventory oh, i'm not comfortable with it this week i'm going to read every article i can on open to buy and why does an open to buy in a retail business matter 
oh, I've got to understand the relationship with the balance sheet. Oh, what's a balance sheet? Break it down and, and learn it. Don't, don't feel silly about not knowing it because that, that's all of us. But it's just break it down, nail one thing a week and, and don't start until you do because ultimately um, you, it, they could be costly mistakes. So it's just, it just comes back to like do your homework. It's, you know, I wish I had when I started out. <laughs> Lost. I, I learned the hard way, so you know that's um, that's why I, I know how important it is. Yeah, love it. Um, awesome. So we're going to dive into the last part of the podcast, which is quick fire. I always have to preface this. Okay. The audience would hate me for it; they would be getting sick of it by now. But it's not quick fire. It's just some random questions that we put together. Okay. Um, we can even call it slow fire if you like. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so don't feel like you have to shorten your answer. <laughs> Sometimes okay. I say it and then I'll get like a three-word answer. And <laughs> Elaborate. <laughs> um, okay. So one piece of advice for your younger self. Oh, that's a <clears throat> that's a really good one. I think because I, I, as a younger younger person, was you know struggling a little bit with certain things and you know family and you know, mental health issues and stuff like that. It would be don't don't sweat the small stuff. And I I. You know, recently spoke at um, University of New South Wales, Wayne College. There, I was like, I don't give a shit what any of your marks are, anything like that. From the perspective of eternity, none of that matters. And it and and it just also, young person, your your start doesn't matter. It, only look forward. Like I never look back. I only look forward because I'm in control of what's next, and um, to a certain extent. So it's just um, don't sweat the small stuff. As a young person, you got time. You 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 can be successful and. And um, and don't compare yourself to, to, to everybody else. And uh, I know that's about six answers, but it's uh, I guess if I could sum that up, it's like don't sweat the small stuff and only look forward, not back. It's such a good answer. I think like I look at I look back at I guess some of the mistakes that I've made in my life, you know, um, and I think they all really come from the idea that I didn't have a long enough time horizon. You know, yeah. I thought I had to have everything sorted now. Yeah. Uh, and usually that's, I think that kind of is that when you, you mentioned your answer, I kind of thought back to that for me. And that's something I've been focusing on now is even, you know, like I'm, I'm 29, you know, and, and so, but I feel like I've got more time now than I did at 24. Yeah, so, totally. and it's just a, a shift in perspective of like, well, I've got 10 years to really yeah. build something great or, or work on myself and become the person I want to. Like it doesn't have to happen tomorrow. Yeah. So I'm 40, I turned 40 this week and I look at you and I say, oh mate, you've got so much time ahead of you. And that's what people say to me. Whereas sometimes I'm, I'm like, oh, I've got to do everything this week and I haven't done it. I'm, I've failed. And it's just, it's that word perspective. And perspective is, is, is everything. And I think it's so important. Love it. So what advice would you have for someone who's just about to start a business? I think um, don't start too early. Like some people say start, you know, fail, fail, all that stuff. No, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think, I think take the time to, to master your craft, whatever that craft may be. Like, and we'll use e-commerce because we're talking about it today, but, Again, I say, like, if I'm selling women's fashion online, I'm not in fashion, I'm in e-commerce. And it's just understanding that. So I'll go back to the, the point about being a mechanic. I'm not about to go out and start changing the oil and ch changing the, the timing belt in my car and so on bec just because I can access it. Give due respect to the craft. Take your time and learn. And I think if I could zero in on an e-commerce merchant who might be starting 
if you've got, I'm just going to be a little bit general here and sort of say, if you've got less than 10 products, go back to the drawing board. You know, think about, think about yourself going into your favorite shop. You know, let, let's just say your favorite shops, I don't know, General Pants or something, you know, clothing shop or Universal Store, whatever. You go in and you see 10 products on the shelf. You, you, you're getting out of there pretty quickly. Mm. You need to make it busy. You know, take the time, get the money together, make your store look busy. Your conversion rate will increase. Your chances of success will increase. So take your time to get it right before you start. Mm. I love it. Um, last one. What's the number one trait that a founder must have for success and why? <laughs> I know there's not one, but what, what do you think is the most important? The, the, oh, I, I think, uh, yeah, I can only sort of speak for myself. And um, when I say for myself, I mean some of the people that I've worked with who are successful founders and, and, and myself founding, you know, whatever, whatever all the things that I, that I do. I think... Uh, being prepared so attention to detail and being prepared and as part of that knowing your numbers I don't, I don't care if it's selling books or selling courses or selling clothes I think knowing your numbers so on the professional side knowing your numbers I think on the personal side founders need to display humility and I think when you display humility people will follow you and and go with you and 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 you know, you can lead them into battle. I don't think anyone really likes hearing about the founder who's, you know, boasting about the $100 million and so on. So some of the best leaders, founders who are leaders, are just good good people. Mm-hmm. And, and the, you know, the, the no dickhead policy, I think that's interesting. I just find a lot of the good business people that I work with are, are just good people and people that I really like spending time with. And as a result, they tend to attract good staff who lean in and, and help them. So I think professionally attention to detail and know the numbers and and you know as a personal trait and a leadership trait displaying a bit of humility particularly as you achieve a bit of success i love both of those i think humility is a is a really great great one if that makes sense like the idea of um i think and i think there's been a i think it's it's always been important but i think even more so now like i don't know whether it's social media and people getting sick of hearing everyone you know yeah. blowing their own horn and and right. so on but i think i think it's a great one and i think like same thing you know like leaders that even i want to follow and i may not be a part of the company or you kind of want to be around them or yeah. you find yourself attracted to them more often than not it's it's because they do they are humble um and and they 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 know that they're not doing it all themselves or it's not happening just because of them and it's usually that they've they've got good people around them as well yeah and that ends up being fun and, and, and it's got to be fun and, and yeah i i think um I think people gravitate towards those types of people. So, yeah, humility is a good one. Love it. Mate, I want to say a massive thank you for your time. Um, My pleasure. That was amazing. Like, I genuinely, like, I could sit here and talk to you yeah, all day. Same. I think <laughs> going into the details, yeah. I wanted to go places that we probably don't have enough time to go. But yeah. um, I think the, the audience, you know, definitely would have got a lot out of that. Um, where can everyone find you? And more importantly, where does it, where does everyone get their hands on, on the book? Yeah, because the book. Well, I've got the book for you here, Kyle, and, and beautiful. I'll, I'll give you that signed copy, which is automatically worth less after I <laughs> sign it. Um, com. Hit, hit me up on the, the website. I've got learnecommerce.com.au, which is a site that I'm 
uh, training course that I'm working on. It's um, you can chuck your email in there and you get notified if you want to learn more about e-commerce. Or um, at Paul Waddy e-commerce on, on LinkedIn or Instagram, connect with me, drop me a line. I love talking e-com, so I mean, drop me a line and I'll, if, if you've heard something in here that you want to ask me about, I love that stuff. I, I, I try and get in there and answer and um, that's how we build the community, the e-commerce community, which I'm big on. So um, get in touch, drop me a line, give us a follow, give us a, whatever you want and we'll, we'll talk e-com. And the book is called... The book is called Shopify, Shopify for, for Dummies. Dummies. So that's on Booktopia, Amazon, Dimmix, um, all those, Angus and Robertson. And then um, and then Selling Online for Dummies is coming out early next year. So that's, that's on pre-sale, but you can absolutely get your hot little hands on Shopify for Dummies uh, at the moment. And again, if you do grab it, have a read. And if, if, if you like it, reach out if you don't like it don't reach out <laughs> and um happy to you know talk about the book as well I, I just love interacting on on all things e-com so yeah absolutely get in touch no mate you're a wealth of knowledge and um i know i'll be getting into that thing and, <laughs> and, and having a good read but um the, we'll have all the links in the show notes as well so if you do want to grab a copy and and kind of find out more definitely definitely check it out but yeah ama- amazing thank you so much for your time i appreciate yeah. it um and Joshy Boy, thanks for putting this together. Uh, and to our audience, a massive thank you for all the support. Um, again, we, we don't get to do this without you guys. So uh, a massive thank you, and we'll, we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, we'll go,